Welcome to the Werewolf Den, where we delve into gaming concepts behind White Wolf's Werewolf the Apocalypse. I'm Amelin. And I'm Ryan. Hey there! So, all those werewolves out there, we're going to be talking about your werewolf breeds today. We got the three general breeds, um, the two that are the obvious ones everybody knows about, uh, the Hamid, which is your human form, your Lupus, which is your wolf born, and then the Metis, which is your born as a werewolf, which that one we'll get into a little bit more depth, I think, probably best later on after we discuss the more easily understood two. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Hamid is the easiest to start, to start off with because it is the least alien from our own perspective. You were born as a human, and at some point in your life, you underwent the first change. Now, there's sort of two different ways that you can direct this. Uh, you can be either uh, what's known as sort of a lost cub within the text itself, which is uh, a werewolf whose parents do not know that they are kinfolk. Uh, you are not associated with any werewolves, you are not indoctrinated into that culture, and so it can be useful for uh, brand new players who have no experience with the world, that way their character is just as caught up as they are. The other option, which I very rarely see, very few people seem to do this, is to be a kinfolk who was associated with the Garu nation and has uh, a level of understanding and expertise when it comes to that society and that worldview. And that's especially useful for veteran players, obviously, who want to sort of break from that mold. But especially, I think, for, you know, when it inevitably happens and someone dies and you need to come in with a new character, uh, that's a good way to, to sort of direct your homage so that way you're not stymieing things up or gumming up with the, the works with a character who's, you know, ignorant of what's going on when the rest of the player base isn't. Mm-hmm. And inevitably it all kind of just comes down to the size of your player base too. Like, if you get a whole bunch of newbies on a small tabletop version, it's a lot easier to kind of handle this with like a single dim mother NPC and maybe hopefully you have a couple of veteran players on your table as well. That'll kind of ease into this. One of the things that immediately popped in my head was when you brought up the notion of of players really rarely starting as like I was already kinfolk before and aware before I changed and stuff like that. And I think that's kind of indicative of the favored tri- uh, plays into the favored tribes too, which I think we can is something that we can definitely get into at a later podcast. But one of the things that if you've got the first thing that comes into my head is if you are a player who's new to the game, never played it before, maybe you've only played like a one shot here or there, definitely Hamid is your easiest route to go with on that. And a lost cub Hamid at, Hamid at that. But the nice thing with Hamid is that it is the most easily played and diverse of them. It's kind of like playing human in D&D. Like, you can't play it wrong, necessarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the aspects of that uh, flexibility and that versatility that I really enjoy 
uh, comes with the Umbra and your engagements with it. Because the Umbra, you know, is a place where any spiritual or intellectual aspect of the real world is sort of mirrored here. You have all of these facets that are primed to be explored by Hamid. And within a lot of settings and scenarios, these these don't get brought up. Yeah, I see what you mean, though. One of my favorite things as a player is to come up with these, like, weird spirits that I can talk to. Like, if I want to talk to the very concept of nostalgia or something like that, I can summon forth a spirit of, like... 80s nostalgia and have it personified in almost like my personal viewpoint of like even per se horror movies and then it shows up as Pennywise or something like that. Mm -hmm. I was playing a Hamid Galliard and I was seeking to learn the the gift of dream speak and so I sought out a spirit of Freddy Krueger. Freddy Krueger because it's just this perfect parallel. And it was a, a great font to sort of work with in, in terms of like coming up with chiminage and just giving the gift a more interesting flair than, you know, the book's recommendation of a dream spirit, which is so generic and broad that it doesn't contribute any flavor to the story or to the character. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas, you know, if I were playing a lupus, that's not an option you could go with. How does your wolfborn know of Freddy Krueger? What are you doing? So Hamid does afford you a lot of opportunities that are unique, and I think it's important to consider that, especially using the comparison, you know, Hamids are like humans in D&D, and a lot of people think that means that they're bland and flavorless. But it really kind of means that they have kind of the most opportunity for interesting roleplay in that perspective. Mm -hmm. One of the big kind of no-nos that I see happen with hobbits that I don't see with players that play lupus or metis tends to be that they tend to be a little bit more directionless than the other two. And I think that more comes with being a new player than being per se hobbit. But it's a nice thing for if you're going to GM a werewolf game and you got somebody who's coming in that's Hamid, that's something to kind of consider. You might be getting someone who's a little directionless and not quite certain exactly what they want to do with their character. Yeah, I can definitely understand that. I think that Metis and Lupus, for their parts, sort of have this indoctrination already going on. The Lupus are the most in touch with the wilderness and the most spiritually attuned, whereas the Metis are directly related to the Garden Nation, and so you've got that sense of purpose and drive. Whereas a lot of Hamids, I've seen people, you know, in LARPs take the reluctant Guru nature, mm -hmm. which kind of baffles me. But yeah, I think that Hamid, for some reason or another, doesn't have that. And I suppose if you are playing, you know, a fresh off the, the street cub with no knowledge of the nation or, you know, the the, tri uh, the triad, the triad yes. <laughs> with no knowledge of the triad then uh, it can seem a little what's the point mm -hmm. um, uh, and it's also one of those things too where one of the big drawbacks or quote unquote drawbacks that I get a lot of push for werewolf as opposed to vampire is people don't like the 
meta plot sort of thing. And the thing I always tell people with that is, so don't run it. One of the nice things with any World of Darkness game is there is a giant meta plot with just about any of the World of Darkness games, but not all meta plots need to be brought into it. And so probably the big thing that I would suggest to new GMs, if you're coming in and you got a Hamid and that person kind of feels like they're either new or maybe they're more vampire stands who are kind of like, I didn't really want to play werewolf, but I, I kind of prefer vampire more, but you know, my friends are playing this werewolf game instead and I don't, I don't want to rock the boat or something like that. One of the big things that you can say is just the big thing that separates werewolf from vampire isn't necessarily the lore in my opinion, it's the attitude. One of the things that I really, really feel like I need to emphasize when it comes to playing Hamids is the big thing with just any werewolves is that you're playing these creatures that are not just angry, but passionate. Mm -hmm. And they're passionate for a cause. And I feel like that's kind of the big thing that you want to try to get across when playing any sort of werewolf. Even if you're not doing like the worm and all the environmental aspects of it because you're trying to appeal to a broader base or you want to try something new. That passion angle is kind of what you want to go for. So if you're dealing with a Hamid that seems kind of directionless, maybe start encouraging them to take up like a cause. Mm -hmm. So next we have Lupus. And Lupus, in my opinion, are the most difficult to play. And I think a lot of books and players also kind of think that way as well. Yeah, a lot of players really struggle with it. I've only come across like maybe like one or two players that have been in games that I've been in that just managed to hit the nail on the head pretty well. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the big things with that people tend to struggle with with lupus is their minds either go to one of two vantage points. They either go with, oh, wolf, that means dog, right? I'll act like a puppy or something like that if they wanted to be like a friendly lupus or they go with caveman which is also not right mm -hmm. yeah the mental faculty aspect of lupus is kind of difficult to parse together and the books you know while very good for lore have not done a very good job of sort of explaining those aspects yeah i've seen a couple of the books they'll make like token references and a lot of the later books thankfully have been kind of bringing up the david met corrections of those um for those of you not in the know when it comes to wolves the whole like alpha beta mentality that in wolf society is completely false mm -hmm. like that only happens with captive wolves or wolves in captivity in actual like wild wolf packs the heads of the packs or the alphas are just the parents they're the parents and the rest of them are like their cubs who do eventually wander off and find mates of their own yeah so uh something that that's always kind of thrown me off with lupus is the the old werewolf the apocalypse tabletop book had an opening comment in it you know there's this cub who is wandering through a forest and one of the characters says to him Oh, you should have been traveling in lupus form because your homid form is so weak and has no stamina compared to your lupus form. 
and clearly sort of drawing this whole like if you are of this breed these are sort of your defaults that humans have human level intelligence but also human level physiology and i'd always taken that to correlate that lupus are the same that if you have a, a lupus you know kinfolk they're not to the level of sentience that a human would be because the book hasn't really expressed that and so i've always been thrown off with lupus where you know how how do your mental faculties sort of key in mm-hmm. to all of this yeah and the book doesn't really do a good job with dealing with the whole concept of sentience between various animals and from a storyteller perspective i feel like kind of the best way to handle that is basically kind of strangely enough to not what really what you really need to do is treat lupus not like a separate species but like a very very alien culture Mm -hmm. one of the key tricks that i kind of always zero in on with that sort of thing is if you're dealing with a lupus you're dealing with a being that takes in the world either through observation or experience and never through explanation and i feel like that's kind of the key aspect that lack of words everything has to come in through that kind of personal experience sort of vector and that's kind of where that alien aspect comes in like a wolf necessarily probably isn't going to sit down and like listen to you explain human culture they're probably going to think that the best way that they're going to learn it is to just go out and experience it and that's going to be awkward and they're going to get things wrong and they're not going to necessarily understand if you try to explain it why it's wrong because this is what they've observed this is what they've experienced how is it wrong Mm -hmm. so that would be the angle i would say probably is the best way to approach lupus is try to observe the world as if nobody ever had ever actually explained any of it to you the other big thing playing wolves is to just incorporate the notion of just body language as opposed to words Mm -hmm. really kind of role play out that aspect i know that the couple of times i've ever played as lupus one of the key body features that i've always adopted is Whenever somebody is speaking, I look directly at them, no matter what. There's that whole, like, wolves, like, don't don't look alphas in the eye, don't, whatever. Ignore that notion. Consider the fact that wolves don't take in their spatial surroundings the same way that people do. We look around, we can, we move our eyes. Wolves don't move their eyes to take in their spatial surroundings. They move their ears and they move their whole head. And if you're in, you're playing a lupus in homid form, you can't necessarily move your ears. So if you can wiggle your ears, good on you. But that, that'll be an awesome trick to incorporate in your role play. But yeah, do like little things where it's like, if somebody is talking, like you look at them. You don't move your eyes to express necessarily what you're feeling if you do you're trying to do this weird mimicry thing at least that's that would be how i take it Uh, where it's more about the body language and if you try to communicate more with body language 
that I feel like that's going to help you with getting into the lupus mindset more than anything else. Big things to, I would say, avoid with playing lupus, though, as a player is it's okay to take cues from, like, your pet or something like that, but don't assume that it's okay to take, like, body language cues, per se, from your pets to express, like, a specific type of emotion or type of feeling. But don't expect a lupus to have the same type of reaction mm -hmm. to a specific type of stimuli as a pet would. That would be the other thing. Uh, as well, just as with Hamid, you can also play a lupus that has been exposed to enough Garu culture that you don't always have to play this to the 11th degree. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's something to also keep in mind as well. Uh, a lot of times with lupus, everything is always sort of phrased within extremes mm -hmm. <clears throat> and uh i think because of that it can be very daunting in terms of role playing to sort of encompass all of that yeah not everything has to be the bloodiest of bloody meats not everything has to be like the purest of clean water or something like that for your lupus diet in order for them to enjoy it wolves will eat trash just as much as anything else mm -hmm. oh so it's Mostly just about understanding what the priorities are. And also keeping in mind that your lupus does still have some of those human complexities when it comes to those emotions. Don't completely caveman yourself. Mm -hmm. It's not, oh, lupus sad. Lupus sad. Lupus angry. Ah! Lupus angry. And now Lupus crying because Lupus in Harano. And yeah, your, your you know, aptitude for English or whatever the native language of the, the game or setting is can vary, but you still know the Garu tongue. It's sort of this instinctual language. Mm -hmm. And so you can always communicate through that. You know, if you are limited in your ability to physically express with body motion if you're playing at a tabletop setting or you know just can't wiggle your ears you can always communicate that verbally with the understanding in game that this is through body mm -hmm. language mm -hmm. and uh while yeah there are certainly limitations on on those forms of communication they can still be very very expressive uh you are not sad you are despondent Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you are not angry, you are furious. Mm -hmm. So there is still room to be very expressive within those mediums. Mm -hmm. The biggest, I think, obstacle inevitably when it comes to playing lupus is just kind of overcoming that hurdle without turning into a cartoon character. Mm -hmm. And when you find that balance, like some of the best players I've ever dealt with played excellent lupus characters. Like, we had one in a game that you ran that was a Glasswalker Lupus. Mm -hmm. And that was the example I was thinking of, too. Mm -hmm. uh, he would use Control Simple Machine uh, by sort of asserting his role on the food chain and making the machine do its bidding. Mm -hmm. And his whole perspective was sort of phrased from that sense. Uh, that, you know, he wasn't a Glasswalker because he was technologically savvy. Uh, and that'll be a conversation for a tribal discussion. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but because he was a, a Garu, and he sort of browbeat the machines into doing his bidding. And it was a, a very light touch, 
you know, this wasn't a, a super extreme, you know, person on, you know, all fours mm. eating a, a bloody hunk of meat. But yeah, it, it got across that lupus sense. And I think that's where it's really going to shine is with those small touches. Mm-hmm. For storytellers, if you want to kind of help your players learn to play better lupus, give them lupus NPCs to work off of. That's kind of the best thing I can give you. And give them a variety of lupus NPCs. Give them a good variety of personalities. I realize that lupus are kind of supposed to be rare in that particular instance, but if you have a lupus in your pack, that lupus probably has kinfolk. And so that might be something where it's like, okay, that lupus has kinfolk. That means that that lupus probably has a pack or had a pack. To work off of and so it has that sort of sense of connection give them some lupus to play off of uh, because if it, they're dealing with just homids inevitably what's going to end up happening is your lupus player will either frustrate your other players because they're being really over the top with being lupus or they'll get frustrated themselves and just kind of start pantomiming human behaviors and inevitably kind of almost drop the character. Mm -hmm. I've seen that happen more than once. But yeah, from there, I'd say that's a good spot to kind of leave off on lupus and move on to Metis. So uh, Metis oftentimes get described as kind of the, the middle ground between the two. And I feel that that's really cheapening all three of the breeds to say that. Yes, you are you are the most exposed to garu culture and things of that sort but you are still your own thing you know your your sensory input your observations of the world still come from this rage-filled monstrosity that is your most natural form to take and so for much of your you know formative years that's how you do it as as this primal creation employed for the purpose of killing things. Mm -hmm. uh, the best thing I've kind of always told my players when it comes to Metis is no matter what, kind of treat yourself as one of basically an abuse survivor. is An abuse or a trauma survivor is kind of the best way to describe it because one way, shape, or form, you're either going to from being exposed as a werewolf from such a young age, even if you have, like, an incredibly, like, healthy, well-adjusted, accepting sept to work under with your particular metis, and you got, like, a bunch of players who don't want to play up the metis stigma all that much, you're still exposed to the horrors of the worm from an incredibly young age from birth you're basically exposed to garu culture which means from birth you're more or less exposed to the war mm -hmm. and it also means that you are immediately sort of sucked up into tribal politics, politics and things of that sort mm -hmm. uh, exactly. so yeah if you're if your surviving parents are of a particular tribe, you're almost certainly indoctrinated into that from a very early age mm -hmm. uh, rather it's dealing with your parents were like exiled and so you have to deal with the trauma of living with parents that are ostracized and abused from their sept 
you got a mother that died giving birth to you because that's going to be very common amongst Metis children. At least that's a very commonly played trope. You're going to have the trauma that comes with being raised with only a single parent or with having no parents whatsoever and having no real guidance. Uh, one thing that you mentioned was, you know, the, the ostracism that Metis experience. And I think for role-playing purposes, if you're thinking of creating a Metis, uh, something to keep in mind is to sort of internalize that because you're likely not going to get a lot of external response from it. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of players just, and myself included, like just I just don't feel comfortable being that asshole. Uh, like if I'm playing a, you know, a traditionalist venture or Silverfang, I feel that it's a lot easier to sort of fall into those modes, but otherwise it's extremely difficult to just be that much of a dick. Yeah. Simply because the the game setting uh, uh, sort of expects it. Especially when you're dealing with a type of setting where if you're dealing with a tabletop, everybody at the table other than your GM is your pack so they accept you. Mm -hmm. But a good way maybe to kind of deal with that trauma might be considering the notion of like maybe having an inferiority complex where it's like these people like are way too good for me. I do not deserve it or something like that. Or, you know, you could go the extreme opposite in that, just be incredibly bitter about it. And your pack understands, but it's one of those things where you're kind of like on a bit of an emotional hair trigger for it. Mm -hmm. uh, and in a few instances, like that internalization can often lead to external responses. So there was one player I had in my LARP uh, who was playing a Metis, and he was extremely quick to, to sort of take the, the fault of anything. Uh, he knew the right of contrition and he used it constantly. He would, you know, at the slightest incident, he'd get down, you know, roll onto his back, expose his belly and plead forgiveness. And it, it helps those other players to sort of see you as pathetic or miserable. And so if you really want to play up the outcast angle... You need to give your fellow players something to work with. Right. Because simply saying, I am a Metis, isn't, isn't going to be enough for that, except for, you know, those who are very comfortable with sort of stepping into that mm -hmm. asshole uh, role. Yeah, and that is, a, uh, that is a very rare player if you've got a good group. And... It can also be kind of emotionally taxing for your GM to play nothing but asshole characters to you. Mm -hmm. So if you really want that sort of behavior towards your character, then definitely give cues to exemplify that you want to experience that ostracism. If you don't, obviously talk that over with your storyteller, with your fellow players and stuff like that. If you just kind of wanted to play maybe the physical disability angle for it or something like that but you didn't well, I would say you could do that without being a Metis there mm -hmm. are flaws for that there are um so yeah if, if you don't want the baggage attached to being a Metis kind of wonder why you'd want to be a Metis I can kind of understand it from 
a certain kind of social trauma angle if you've got certain social triggers where once you get comfortable with a group you're able to be like hey i can deal with these certain types of emotional traumas and i really want to explore them but can we kind of be a little bit slow with that that's mm -hmm. kind of the big thing when it comes to metis is metis is a great emotional route to go with with just about anything many many players werewolves will very frequently say that metis is their favorite to play but it is uh lupus is the most difficult to play when it comes to finding the character metis is the most difficult to play when it comes to keeping yourself kind of emotionally intact throughout the game yeah i think that's very fair to say but yeah, one last thing I kind of want to touch on when it comes to playing Metis is the notion of playing with as a Metis with other Metis. Because it very kind of quickly has that very quick solidarity that forms, which can be very nice in certain angles, but baffling in others. The best examples that I can think of I remember in a LARP that I was in, there were two Metis who, by all accounts, these characters should have hated each other. Their packs didn't get along with each other. The beliefs and kind of intrinsic things that each of the characters demonstrated with other players didn't necessarily get along. And if these characters had had background with each other before, I would have said, oh, that makes sense, it's kind of that past relationship. But what ended up happening was these two players were like, oh, we're Metis, that must mean that we get it and we get along. And it's like, that's not necessarily how it works. Mm -hmm. There is a certain solidarity with being in any sort of minority group, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that solidarity transcends into friendship every time. And so if you feel like you should have a personality conflict with a certain type of uh, player, even if they are a fellow Metis, go ahead and feel safe to have that personality conflict. That's pretty much the only thing that I would say that it's something that I see pretty frequently. And uh, also not all Metis deformities are equal. You know, someone with a very prominent physical deformity like Hunchback you know, is going to have a very different Metis experience from someone who can blend in. Uh, and even then, someone with, you know, the Metis condition of human face is going to have a very different experience from someone who has seizures or something of the like. Mm -hmm. uh, and so those differing experiences can certainly cause uh, some strife within, you know, the camp of Metis. If you look at any, you know, disenfranchised group, there are always fractures within that but you know look at class issues the poor do not always get along mm -hmm. uh, and so i think the same can also be said of, of metis and you can incorporate that into role play and story as well mm -hmm. yeah inevitably the big thing with metis is don't be scared of trauma because you're playing a metis and trauma is kind of baked in there mm -hmm. that could be said honestly with any world of darkness but it goes doubly, <laughs> doubly so. so with metis uh, but yeah, tips for storytellers running with Metis. The biggest thing I can think of is 
has more to do kind of with how tribes treat Metis than anything else. And that's that whole, like, every tribe treats Metis differently, but find ways to make it so that it's still not necessarily always better or worse, per se. One of the big things that I always came across was children of Gaia. Oh, children of Gaia are always nice to Metis and stuff like that, whereas... Um, the Silver Fangs, oh, the Silver Fangs are always nasty to Metis or something like that. And it's like, no, play with that and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Metis politics can be very intricate. You can have a child of Gaia who's overly patronizing because he's like, he knows he's supposed to be nice to Metis mm-hmm. and has that kind of like, oh, I'm, I'm here to take care of you or you poor thing, let me help you. Find creative ways to basically kind of mess with your metis, more or less. Mm-hmm. People are playing metis, more or less, to be messed with. It doesn't have to always be, like, outright stereotypical, like, Ah, I hate metis! Yep, punch! It doesn't always have to be the obvious sort of bigotry. Uh, but, yeah. I think that's a good place to kind of leave it off for today. Yeah, I feel like we have talked extensively about the different breeds. Yeah. For anybody that's interested in playing World of Darkness for the first time, hopefully this kind of gives you a good way to kind of start thinking about building your characters because breeds is the best way for figuring out the way your character thinks. Not necessarily what they believe, not necessarily how they interpret things or anything like that. Just how the character thinks. Like, how does that character, how would that character process information? That's what breeds are good for, at least on a roleplay perspective. Mm -hmm. If you're a veteran player, hopefully we didn't just spend an entire time telling you things you already know, but hopefully we gave you some interesting tips that maybe you didn't consider before, or something that might help you later on in the future. Thanks for listening.